Welcome to episode 52 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim and Prue. Welcome back, Prue. And Hi. we also have a very, very special guest reviewer. He's back for the second time round. We actually had him for the first season of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, and we've managed to convince him to come back on again. And uh, you may recognize him from many, many other uh, satirical comedy shows or that just pop up around, especially this one. Oh, yes. Hungry Beast. Oh, yeah. Cool scene. I pay full of full rights to play for the song, so. <laughs> uh, yes, it is a Rational Fear podcast host and TV funny man, Dadalich. Oh, yes. Hey, hello. Thank you so Hi. much. It's uh, been a long time since I've been a funny man on TV, uh, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it, you know. Take whatever you can get these days. Mate, and you are a huge Frontline fan too, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I'm a massive Frontline fan. Uh, I, You know, watching this week's episode again, I was triggered by the opening titles of the show and how it you know, reappeared a few times throughout the episode. And it just really took me back to getting home from school, staying up, waiting for Frontline to arrive on television. I, I could see myself in my parents' house watching it. Like I, <laughs> I felt like a little kid again. I, I used to have a little tiny television about mum uh, and dad had this, had this portable TV. It must, couldn't have been any bigger than an iPad in terms of the screen, um, maybe half the size of an iPad. And, and I remember it was so heavy. I used to lug it into the bath and watch <laughs> Frontline in the bath. Um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, wanted to, you know, relax and be into it and, you know, just kind of, you know, get, get, you know, in, in the right headspace to enjoy the quality. Let, let it wash over you. So, so this, this is like when it, when it's actually on live, it wasn't a recording. You actually watched it live while you were in the bath. Well, no, this is not a no, yeah, because back in those days, I would have had to record it on a VHS. Yeah, you can't uh, bring the VHS to the bathroom. I didn't the VHS into the bath. I moved the portable television, portable television into the bath, and waited till uh, probably. I, mean, I guess it was like seven thirty or eight o'clock at night on uh, on a Wednesday or something like that on the ABC, so I could uh, consume it in the bath. Yeah, I, so I, 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 it was a real triggering moment for me watching this episode. It was great. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we mentioned Hungry Beast. Um, I partially bring it up because I do actually happen to have a copy of it. Oh, wow. On DVD. Yeah, one, uh, $1 <laughs> from the Salvos and it's X, uh, it's X stock from the Blockbuster in Sterling, which is Adelaide Hills. Oh, so, my uh, God. This is, this is essentially, this is, yeah, a copy of Hungry Beast on physical media in a video shop uh, uh Wrapping, so it's it's like a time capsule in a time capsule in a time capsule. That's amazing, Daniel. If you could do me a favor and snap the DVD in half, um, there's some very <laughs> very questionable material on there that that shouldn't see the light of day. I suppose Hungry Beast may be may have been the closest thing to current affairs that you, you may have worked in. 
Um, was Andrew Denton anything like Brian Thompson? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he wasn't at all. Like he was, uh, he was a very different character. I've, I've actually worked on uh, lots of television shows and, and at Channel 9 I worked on Funniest Home Videos. And i got to say that I, I've met those EPs of, of those, those shows on, on commercial current affairs and they are very similar. Um, yeah, very, very similar. There's a bloke called Tim Cleary who I think still works at Channel 7. He is uh, brutal. Like um, uh, Bruno's character uh, is so wonderful and warm, but these guys who work at that level are, are sick. They're sick people. They've got immense pressure coming down from them from the network. They've got immense pressure coming up from them from their staff. And they are, to quote um, Tom Wamsgams, a pain sponge. You know, they are, uh, and it, as when you're an executive producer, and I've been an executive producer twice on TV shows, three times on TV shows, you are that. You are, you are absorbing the pain from above and you're absorbing the pain from below. And it, when you're working in a very high stressful situation like current affairs, television that pain is amplified because it's so cutthroat amongst and competitive amongst oh back in the day when you had um uh, several on at the same time that time slot was ultra competitive because you're you're literally competing in the same genre in the same uh, time zone um on different networks for the same audience and so that today tonight slash a current affair competitiveness um the people who ran those shows were real assholes wow <laughs> so you know the the ep in um in this season of Funline is such a warm character and warm clever character who is very empathetic and very smart and whereas i think the folks who i have had experience working with in those kinds of shows very short-tempered um very not great at pressure not great don't have great people skills um uh, and I would say Andrew Denton is 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 not one of those people. Andrew Denton is uh, 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 he's very he has very high standards. If you don't meet those standards, he would be very upset with you. But thankfully, uh, we no longer have to work with each other, and uh, he is an absolute <laughs> delight and a good friend of mine. So <laughs> <laughs> it's an, it's an absolute, it's a real you know it's a real privilege to have a, you know friend like Andrew. One of the things I I liked about. Uh... Hungry Beast was that there was only one simple mission, uh, reading off the back of the DVD cover, tell us something we don't know. Tell us something we don't don't know. And the world disgust was like another one. Like it was just one of those things where it was like, well, we should just try and we had this uh, idea in Hungry Beast called the fuck me moment um, and where every story we created had to have a fuck me moment. That is, Oh, fuck me. I didn't know about that. that. Fuck me. That's interesting. Fuck me. You have to see this. That is the, like the fuck me moment is kind of the thing we would always walk around the office going, Oh, does it have a fuck me moment? Doesn't have a fuck me moment. God's got to go. We need a fuck me moment. Anyone got a fuck me moment. So, you know, that's <laughs> the language that we kind of dealt with in, in the hungry beast office. And that's kind of permeated through all of the alumni's work since, you know, we still talk about mm. it um, you know, when we're commenting on other people's work. Uh, well, our, our colleague, our former colleagues' works, you know, well, that was a real fuck me moment, you know. Um, so it's it's one of those it's one of those bits of lexicon around the office that are kind of really stuck along with our continuing careers and creating things. So I try to create mm. fuck me moments in the work I do. Sometimes uh, I'm too lazy to, uh, but uh, and, and good enough, near enough is good enough. But 
uh, when when you're winding up the rubber band to make something impactful, you're always searching for that fuck me moment to hit go and unleash upon the world. Oh, I've got nothing. I'm speechless with that. That's a great concept of any type of show. There you go. Well, we second. got the fuck me moment for the episode. Let's yeah, wrap this yeah, up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> fuck me. That was good. I'm Excellent. looking forward to finding out what the fuck me moment is in the various frontline stories that they cover. Maybe you can point that out to us. Well, you de- I mean, you as people who are part of this podcast know structurally there are many. You know, there's one at the start, there's a hook, and then, of course, there's a being working dog. There's always a great punchline. And so you don't often see that in comedies these days where comedy um, is self-contained in 26 minutes. Uh, can I just say how much I enjoyed watching a comedy show that took 26 minutes? Like any, any show... Any show these days you have to stream, it's always 50 minutes or an hour something, and it's like, this is a fucking task. It is taking forever. What a joy it was to watch a network broadcast comedy show had a beginning and middle and end within 26 minutes, and the discipline in the writing it it takes to create that is fantastic. And uh, Working Dog, unafraid to put a button on it, and not leave you hanging for the next episode because back in those days you just had to end end it solidly and get out and now you need to end it and then start the next episode in the last 30 seconds to hook people in to the to the next episode like it's such a such a different kind of world we live in now in terms of narrative structure yeah it, it is something to really appreciate that there's there's not a lot of fat on this uh, episode that that would need to be trimmed. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's funny you say that actually because just going through the script book, there's quite a lot of cut lines in this episode, and I think what they've had to do is they realised they were running over. So you can see in the script book they've had to shave off, you know, a couple of lines at the start of a scene, or or you know, a line or two in the middle of a scene, you know, and and actually when you when you sort of watch the episode and you read the book and you see what they've cut you think yeah okay they have actually cut off the fat and made this a really lean 26 minutes so it's quite interesting to go through the book if you can find a copy of it yeah totally yeah uh that and that's part of it is like you know you gotta as we say in the business you gotta kill your babies i'm sure there were some really i'm sure there were some perlers they had to cut uh, maybe not. I, I think they were probably right to cut the scenes that they did, but there there are one or two interesting ones that that I might mention a bit later when we get to it. Okay, great, cool. Speaking of trimming the fat, unless someone else has got anything, we won't even bother with back chat. There, there's <laughs> oh, no wow. straight, yeah, straight, straight into the guy. No yeah, one's emailed into us. It. No, or, or the only thing I was going to say was that I had to kind of twist my own arm and had to create a Threads account. Or the champagnecomedy.com site. No. Just to, yeah. But that's not nothing important. There's so many social media things now. I'm just trying to establish an account for every single one so we can cover at least <laughs> a, a username basis. Job. There definitely there. needs to be some consolidation now, doesn't there? There's, there's too many or too oh. many of them. I'm starting to feel burnt out from social yeah, media yeah. altogether. But honestly, yeah, I just feel like yeah. throwing in the towel, just going, well, screw it. How, how about we just send letters back again you know australia post i'm sure we'll love that yeah we, we can become no, the... a, a printed a photocopied fanzine or something yeah p.o box triple nine four in your capital city <laughs> yeah exactly Just fax fax something over yeah <laughs> oh jesus 
Daniel Genie's program guide. All right. Um, there wasn't much outside of the program guide looking in the uh, Age Green Guide and the Sydney Morning Herald Guide. The only thing of note is that uh, tomorrow night, Channel 7 has extended Denton, starring Andrew Denton. I know it's a very Denton-heavy episode already. Uh, they're extending his uh, show to 90 minutes and will begin at the earlier time of 9.30 with the Denton Taste Test, which he calls, quote, a special cheap ratings grab, unquote. <laughs> a tabloid version of the usual show, it promises UFOs, Culkin's disease... <laughs> And footage from, quote, the only piece of television which has ever made me physically nauseous, unquote. Howard Stern's New Year's Eve beauty pageant. So. <laughs> oh, God. oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's just. <laughs> I'm, I'm not intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, to the program guide proper, uh, starting uh, on Channel 7, in, uh, in Melbourne at 7.30 uh, was another episode of Talk to the Animals. But, uh, sorry, did I say Sydney or Melbourne just then? Melbourne. Uh, in Sydney, it was another repeat of MacGyver. MacGyver. Uh, according to the listing here, <laughs> MacGyver battles an eccentric scientist whose bizarre biological experiments go out of control and threaten the environment. So, again, uh, it's not really proving all of those MacGruber parodies wrong, I think. <laughs> There's some sort of disaster about to happen and he's got his saber in 30 seconds with, you know, a, a paperclip and a bunch of chewing gum. You know, look, uh, uh, there have been millions of dollars spent and thousands of hours of politicians travelling around to try and fix the environment. Uh, if they can't do it, MacGyver definitely can. <laughs> he's the only one. He needs to get on with it then, you should, doesn't he? You should, you should get him on your show. MacGyver, yeah, I should get MacGyver on the show. <laughs> uh, over on Channel 9 uh, at 7.30 is Murphy Brown. Um, they've finished up uh, with Season 6 and they've gone into repeats, so they've gone all the way back to Season 3, Episode 10, titled Trouble in Sherwood Forest. It was so confusing when they used to go back and forth on series and you could never tell where you were in the timeline. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't get you, you couldn't get away with it. Now, the the only uh, TV show I can think of that used to do that really regularly would have been Friends, I think, where you would you would just tune in and you wouldn't be sure whether it was a new one or an old one. Thankfully, thankfully, it was a funny one. <laughs> uh, so, in this episode, uh, Murphy may have to eat her words when she supports Porky's notion that a dinner party would provide sustenance for her affection-starved marriage. Uh, then at eight o'clock, we've got Frasier, season one, episode 17, titled A Midwinter Night's Dream. Niles asks Frasier for advice about his marital problems. Oh, dear. That uh, Maris who you never, ever see. It's interesting um, doing a 94 uh, TV guide because actually all the good US series are on. You know, when back in the late show, it was like just crap. <laughs> and now we've got some good quality television. This was 1994, and so far, all three shows in the guide that you said uh, with MacGyver, um, Murphy Brown, and now Frasier have either come back 30 years later or are about to return. You are quite right, actually. Yeah, Frasier Frasier's the only one which. He's about to. Um, has, yeah, is about to, yeah, uh, at, at time of recording. And, yeah, certainly, um, yeah, there is a, a bit of a, a difference between uh, Mondays in 94 and Saturdays in uh, 92, 93. It's sort of, I like, it's, it was very movie-heavy on a Saturday. 
So whereas yeah, there's certainly a lot more stability on a Monday. I'm going to jump over to the ABC. Later on tonight uh, is season two, episode four of the British black comedy series Murder Most Horrid, starring Dawn French. Um, it's uh, titled We All Hate Granny. 75-year-old Lily Gibbons lives a precarious existence with her resentful daughter and her unemployed son-in-law. So, um, yeah, I know. You can, you can hang on to that after uh, checking out Stuart Littlemore uh, mentioned front line in Media Watch. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't think any of those can hold a candle to what's on Channel 10. It's good old healthy, wealthy and wise. Yes! Listen to this lineup. Ronnie Burns shows how to convert the empty space under your roof into an attractive living area. <laughs> Peter Werrett reports on seatbelts. <laughs> Jim Brown <laughs> visits Mossman Gorge. Ian Hewitson prepares a popular pasta dish. Ross Greenwood tells parents how they can teach their children the value of money. And Tonya Todman gives a chest of drawers an unusual finish. Oh, God. Oh. Does, she does she cover it with, like, ribbons and glitter and stuff? Mm. In contact. Oh God! I, I could just imagine this this horrific thing that she she's going to make. And then you can oh. store it up in the uh, the the spare room or the rooftop. The roof. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how's the way Huey only ever cooks a pasta or a ragu? It, it's a po it's a pop popular pasta dish, Prue. I mean, what's it going to be? Carbonara, spag bowl, puttanesca if you're lucky. Huh? <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that Hewitt's uh, never, the, uh, Hewitt's never ever decided to cook anything without carbs, did he? He was always <laughs> carb heavy, that guy. Come on, guys, <laughs> let's make a Mediterranean salad. No, <laughs> I need some carbs. There was always a lot of oil involved as well, just oil, just, glum, just everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and sun-dried tomatoes. Oh, well, it was the 90s, man. Had to have sun-dried tomatoes. I, th I, think, I think the only one which uh, still um, uh, would be good for these cost-of-living times would be converting the empty space under your roof. <laughs> yeah, get, get, get rid of those pink bats. You know, like we, there's room up there to subtle that. Come on. <laughs> All right, uh, that's enough. Uh, let's get into the episode. Can I say this is my this is one of my favorite segments of the show. I just wanted to quickly jump. Here, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you, it's like you, a time if you're ever questioning, yeah. <laughs> if you ever like for the listener at home, I listen. Uh, and if you're ever questioning the validity of this segment, don't. It is a real trip down memory lane. It is just absolutely delightful. I can see myself in the bath watching all of these. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just worried about how you never got electrocuted. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really, really dangerous, actually. It was on the bench. on the bench. But you, you, you were like a trailblazer. Everyone's just bringing their phone into the bus now, and you were one of the originals. Yeah. <laughs> just... yeah, yeah. Always ahead of my time. Always ahead of, there's a problem being ahead of the bell curve. Was it a colour portable TV or only black and white? I'm glad you asked. It was a colour Toshiba. Uh, oh, nice. It had, it had a lovely silver plastic finish on the front, and it was it was easily about six kilos. It was very Someone good. had a layover in Hong Kong back in the day. But as we keep complaining or, or prove uh, about the quality of, of frontline videos on our huge 4K TVs, having it on that small portable Toshiba probably was a – Pretty much an HD experience. It's probably the only way to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel ripped off. 
Because Frontline was filmed on Super 8, right? Like, mm. it was filmed on, like, a shitty... Uh, yeah, apart from the... Apart from the broadcast bits when they were in the studio. It was a high 8 video camera and then it was transferred to film and then back to video to achieve that craptastic look. All right, Daniel, uh, thank you very much for all that. And now, Dan, um, if you uh, put your eyes towards the chat, you are going to introduce or do the Mike Moore impression, if you are willing to do so. If you don't want to do a Mike Moore impression, uh, Dan, yeah. uh, you could do either a Robbie McGregor impression, <laughs> the, 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 guy, the, the, the guy who introduces your podcast, Rational Fear, yep, yep. or an Alan Jones impression. Oh, mm. Alan Jones. Oh, oh, yeah, take your pick. Take your, take, oh take, yeah, take your pick. Oh, my God. All right, so well, what I'm we'll moving, do... Uh, what we'll do I'm is... buying a house around the corner from Robbie McGregor, so let me give Robbie a go. <clears throat> okay, all right, so I'm going to cue the theme and... There's, there'll be a pause for okay. you. So here we go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Adult things. Mm. 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 SBS advises. Subs, doms, pimps and daddies. Okay, here we go. Three, two, cue in. Hello, I'm Dan Illich. This is Frontline, Season 1, Episode 12, Judge and Jury, broadcast on Monday, July 25th, 1994. Viewing is recommended by mature audiences. Hey. <laughs> well done. Well done, especially being put under pressure like that. So much pressure. Well done, my friend. Well done. And so, how much do we owe in Robbie McGregor royalties? <laughs> <laughs> he works for me for free. Lucky me. Oh, fantastic. Well, as uh, Robbie or Dan explained, it is season one, episode 12, Judge and Jury. The synopsis of this is Brooke has done a series on a priest accused of rape and Mike goes up against a cross-network promotion. During a story, Marty unwittingly wipes out an entire genus of butterfly. Whoops. Yeah, genus. Yeah, genus. Sorry. Yep. I was just trying to play on that, kind of like repertoire and repartee. <laughs> but I wasn't sure if anyone was going to get it. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty intense. So that's directly off the DVD case, by the way. Uh, but... After a series of failed phone calls with this episode at the very beginning, uh, Marty shows Kate the method on how to get people to come on the show for an interview. Hello, Mrs. Zitas. It's Martin D'Astasio here from Frontline. I'm terribly sorry to hear about your son. And we wouldn't normally disturb you in this, in this time of grief, but we, well, we feel it's vital that something is done about the whole issue of pool fencing. And, well... You're in a position to do to, to do this, Mrs. Itas. Well, I think it's the least we could do as a, as a tribute to 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 Simon. <clears throat> yes, I, I do think it'll make a difference. Of course, it's entirely up to you, and I think people would understand if if, if you didn't want to raise awareness of the dangers and. Um, yeah. Well, what about tomorrow? Well, after the funeral. What? Say about two. Um, well, we'll see you then. Oh, and I think if anyone uh, else rings about an interview or anything like that, just just say no. I think you're doing more than enough already, uh, Mrs. Okay. Well, we'll see you then. Bye bye. They're expecting us about two. 
if he only was as calm as that when he's telling the well, the photocopier to work properly, I reckon everything would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he needs to kind of yeah. manipulate the photocopier into working as he <laughs> as he has done there, because that was very much a masterclass on how to do it. Essentially, you've just got to tug at the heartstrings of of the victim, and and they'll say yes. And that's the way he goes. Oh. Pick a wog. They always talk. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. This is just classic strategy. This is this is what happens. I've been on the end of those phone calls as media wanting to talk to me about stuff, and and the way they kind of say in this episode, oh, and I wouldn't worry about talking to anybody else. You know, don't don't talk to anyone. That that's happened to me a few times, and I, it happened to me before I was really in media, and so I didn't quite understand what they were getting at. What I do know now is, you know, it was a clear catch and kill operation. They didn't want you to talk to anyone else because their competitor would get the story. Next time that would happen, uh, if this is good advice for anyone who's in the middle of a media storm, ask for money. Like they've got money to give you. So say, yeah, well, actually, this other network's actually offer, offering to offering me five grand. Um, so I'm going to talk to them, and uh, then sure enough, you, you yeah. might get some money uh, from the network you're talking to. That's my hot tip for anyone under pressure in crisis communications right now. But yeah, Marty has had so much experience uh, at this. Uh, um, as we saw quite a few episodes ago, uh, talking to the family of a crocodile attack victim. And yeah, appearing to sort of be on your side, but only appearing to be. Yeah, it didn't take long for Kate to actually uh, understand the way to go about it. And I think, uh, you know, very soon afterwards, she's she's the one who's just really kind of raring for it. Whereas at the beginning, she's like, oh, you know, Brian just makes me call all these people. I've got to, he looks at all the car crash stories, all the horrible tragedies, and I've got to make these horrible phone calls. Then he see, then she sees how it's done and yeah. She gets a little bit uh, confident. She becomes the master manipulator. Although it's a classic um, example of open versus closed kind of questions, isn't it? It's like, yeah. can we can we interview you? Okay, no, okay, bye. <laughs> but you know what I see from it though? Every time Kate does this or any uh, similar thing in a similar scenario throughout any of the episodes, it's ever since the episode of Frontline World, The Art of Gentle Persuasion, I straight away now see, ah, that's that gentle persuasion now. Yeah. <laughs> so each episode's teaching a little thing every little time. I think we might have identified the first fuck me moment, which is which is actually you. We're, we're kind of realizing here how TV's being made. It, it's this kind of mani- manipulative phone call. So so that we can you can I don't know. We need a sound effect. Maybe just a tick for fuck me number one. <laughs> Time for the sound effects. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that'll do. That's a, that's a good one. Well, meanwhile, Emma has lined up a thrilling story for Marty on the ten-year anniversary of the butterfly enclosure. Yes, how thrilling is that? <laughs> mm. But Jan is trying to convince Mike to do an interview with an actress on the show, but Mike sees it as a cross-promotion and he refuses. Jeez, there's uh, Mike's standards in the play there. Yeah, except except when when they say, "Oh, we'll tell Miss D Cup we, you know, we don't want her services anymore," and then he goes, "Oh, well, well hang on, maybe I will." It just so so I I kind of <laughs> like that line there from Brian. He's just he he knows he can reel Mike in with, "Oh, she's quite hot." He's like, "Oh, I don't want to be all precious about it." No, no. <laughs> Kate shows Brian her perfect hit rate with the phone calls, and Marty does his butterfly report. However. Once Stu turns on the light... Okay, lights, thanks. Rolling. Christine, 
How long have you been curator here at the Butterfly and Clip? What? What? Look at the power! The right! The right! Turn the power off! Ah, House of Serenity. <laughs> I reckon it's all on that zookeeper, really. She should have been far more aware of what's going on. 100%. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, she should have known that was going to happen, for sure. This sort of seems like one of those scenarios which like plausibly may have actually happened and been passed on from, uh, you know, from, from journo to journo, yeah. like, you know, newsroom lore. One of the Logies kind of war stories that they'll share. That's the phrase, war story. Brian's pissed off, especially that Marty has wiped out the rare species of moth. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Brooke uh, has info on a woman who claims she was raped by a priest and Emma asks if he's been charged. But Brian is more interested in getting an interview with the woman, uh, so Kate is on the case and manages to get her across the line. That scene sets the... I guess the the main plot of it all of this priest, which as soon as you think anything to do with religion, they're guilty until proven innocent. It's it's interesting going over this issue all these years later. It's like you know clearly they set it up as a um, a story where the the story's been implanted by a psychiatrist, but that whole thing of like oh they're innocent until proven guilty. Well, all the statistics show that these these cases hardly get to court when they get to court they hardly win you know like yeah it's just it sort of doesn't land very well today when you sort of see that the you can't just rely on the legal system well george pell is i guess the obvious and very recent example of that but yeah there i mean there was a there was a thing about sort of 30 odd years ago where you know various psychiatrists or psychologists had you know uncovered these repressed memories and it turns out they weren't actual memories at all they were things implanted by the psychiatrist and, and that in itself was a scandal you don't hear so much about that these days because that that doesn't really happen anymore but sadly there are still um priests and and other religious leaders from from all denominations who who are doing these things and and not getting what they deserve for it sadly Rob Stitch is a very well-renowned Catholic and we know where he's writing from. <laughs> yeah, they all are. <laughs> they definitely all are. <laughs> body of Christ, that will be nice. <laughs> Depends what type of body. Anyway, oh. moving on. <laughs> Move on, yep. Uh, so Emma gets a call and it's Shirley Strawn who wants to be interviewed. Well, not Shirley on the phone. Shirley wants to be interviewed to promote his new album, but... Mike refuses, and turns out it was Gadinsky. <laughs> I like the uh, the. I'm sorry, Mr. Gadinsky. <laughs> and also the whole the show that they're trying to cross promote was called Wooden. It be lovely. It'd be lovely. <laughs> yeah. I'd now love that, to see that. That's where we get to our cut scene. Don't tell me they cut more of Cheryl. That would um, be tragic. No. No, it's not. It's not Cheryl. So the scene where Jan is is in the office with Brian, trying to convince Brian to get Mike to to do this interview with Shirley Strawn, and that's where we hear about Cheryl's upcoming maintenance or carpentry series. Wouldn't it be lovely? <laughs> and there's there's about sort of six cut lines before that, and and the meeting with Jan and Brian actually starts out about. Um, 
Jan says, I've spoken to the zoo. They were quite upset, but we'll hose it down. We'll offer to do a story next time a new baby monkey is born or something. And then she says, <laughs> actually, that would make a good piece for our weatherman. And Brian says, Mike's mate. And Jan says, have you seen his latest proposal? And Brian says, no. And then she starts talking about how um, he wants to push his one-hour documentary about the urban fox. Now, throughout the series, we've heard Jeff talking about his urban fox documentary and how you know he's feeling really hopeful that it's going to make it to air and various people have been really positive about it and that. And basically what's revealed is that you know they're not ever going to air this urban fox thing but but that sort of becomes relevant later in the episode when jeff and mike are talking about the urban fox thing except i my theory as i said before is that i think that working dog realized they needed to cut stuff because they were running over time so they cut this bit but actually you you don't feel you're missing any information there from that scene that i've just read out because the they repeat it thing, yeah. yeah exactly it's been it's been throughout the whole series of just been bubbling away as a kind of plot that just runs through everything um so yeah anyway that that's the first bit there's another there's another cut bit later which is kind of interesting but actually if you go through this script there's an awful lot of just sort of single or, or double cut lines that just get cut out i think just to shave time off and it's quite interesting to have a look at them. I was quite tickled by the uh, concept of a documentary on the urban fox. <laughs> mm. I'd be fascinated by that. It, it kind of would be interesting. That's the thing. But obviously, it, you know, in, in 1994, they thought, oh, this will be boring. No one will watch that. <laughs> I hosted um, ABC Sydney Breakfast for some time. And i got to tell you, fox sightings during my tenure were like, were like number one catnip for all the listeners that would call up. <laughs> I want to tell you where they saw a fox. I want to tell you where the foxes were. Uh, in Bondi, I house sat for a friend who had chickens in Bondi Beach. And she said to me, oh, just be careful of the fox. I'm like, what? I'm in Bondi Beach. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah. And sure enough, the, the dogs were yapping at 3 a.m. And there was a there was a the fox prowling up and down the driveway trying to get into the chicken coop. And I'm like, fuck, I, I I'm never, I'm never house sitting this place again because I got to be on Fox Watch. Forget it. <laughs> oh, foxes oh, yeah. right. Don't worry about foxes. There's, there's foxes near me, and and you know, they they kind of run away from you if you see if they see you coming because yeah, but you know, they, they're native to that land. <laughs> like, well, yeah, in, I don't know. It's weird seeing them down the beach yeah. in Australia. They're very weird. Yeah, yeah, two sets of friends who've had foxes eat their chickens and kill their chickens. And even just last week, our security camera picked up a fox in our garden in southern Sydney. It's <laughs> so really, really prevalent. Yeah. So. Oh, this is you a fox meme moment. Sex? <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, I, I have, what does it I, sound I, like, Alison? Do tell I, us. Is it like not, cat? <laughs> I'm not doing the. I'm not doing it. It, it is. It's like. It's a bit, it is like yeah. cats actually, but it's worse than that. It's incredibly loud. It's unbelievable. And and the problem is, you know, in the summer you've got. It is. You've got your windows open because it's so hot, so you can't shut the window to stop hearing it. Yeah, so you got, You just got to yeah, let them like, get on with it until they shut your, up. It's your. It's your fox me moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Nice. It absolutely. And we've already had that. Yeah. 
Anyway, there, there, there's a couple of minutes to cut, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Spin off Fox fucking po- uh, podcast. Sure. As Dan said, it is catnip to yeah. people. They love talking about urban foxes. Yeah. Well, we all just spent 10 minutes talking about it, so there you go. What do you think? Give us a call. So, <laughs> so Jan pushes Shirley's album interview as well, revealing the ultimate reason why behind it all. Apparently, the network are very interested in talking to Mr. Strawn about doing a new lifestyles program for he next year. Does one. Yes, 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 but that is a home maintenance program and he does a carpentry segment. What we want to do is a whole series based on carpentry called Wouldn't It Be Lovely? Mr. Strawn's <laughs> manager has. <laughs> yes, has let it be known that some favourable publicity might just be the sweetener we need. Well, at the time of uh, this episode going out, uh, yeah, he's seen every Wednesday at 7.30 on Channel 9 uh, in this show. Doesn't it scream 90s lifestyle? It's so bland, isn't it? You can see... No, but you can, well, you, you, can, you, can, you can see the titles in your head, can't you? With people working on a house and then it going through the front door. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. preferred the Better Homes and Gardens ones because they had more lyrics in it. Because getting <laughs> so much better all the time. All the time. <laughs> Burke's Backyard. Burke's Backyard was better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about... No, I'm sorry. We got Eddie Perfect to write the theme song for Eddie at Home Alone together and I said, Eddie... Um, could we, is it possible, like, could we give you like another thousand bucks and like every couple of weeks you'd just send us a new theme song that's slightly different? He's like, yeah, okay. And so we, we, we had like four different variations of the theme song when Eddie could get around to making, uh, we only had eight episodes, but I think we had four different theme songs across at Home Alone together. So it was great it, for, for the keen listener out there. It was, it was worth based the on it was definitely worth the effort. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it really did reference all those nineties programs. So I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. We're in the office and Mike sprays fly spray around Marty when he retaliates with a rolled up newspaper. Fop, fop, fop. <laughs> no one with oh fine. It wasn't wet no. newspaper. Uh, I like that. No, uh, it wasn't wet, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I, 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 I love Mike's, Mike's reaction to this. So, yeah, me you know, too. I, was, I, I yeah. was doing a clever joke and you were just being violent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was good. Brilliant. <laughs> it was such a Telstra versus Opera, uh, Optus moment. <laughs> it really was. Our Emma gives Marty his next story, uh, which is two blokes saved a crew from a sinking yacht. So that establishes that story arc with more of that to come. Uh, but Brooke does arrive with footage from interviewing the potential rape victim, uh, but the priest has refused the interview. But she does play some hidden camera footage from the confession booth. Anyone know what so confession booth it was? <laughs> no, I haven't uh, no, been to I one think, since think, uh, uh, 1987. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line there where the EP says, um, have you got audio on that? And he said, no, we'll just run it without audio. And what's interesting about that is that, oh, he said, we'll run it in the promo. Um, and what's interesting about that is the, the thing that is illegal in the Surveillance Devices Act in New South Wales and Victoria is the audio recording without somebody 
uh, somebody's consent. So you can record people's video without somebody's consent, but you can't record audio without their consent. So um, that's the reason why they ran in the promo and didn't run in the story um, because they can just run the pictures um, and that's fine. But you'll notice... So that, that would have been perfectly legal. Would have been perfectly legal, yeah. So you'll notice that these shows, when they do hidden camera stuff, they do it outside of South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria. So they do it in Queensland mostly where the Surveillance Devices Act doesn't really exist. So when you see a hidden camera story on a current affairs TV show, um, often it will be uh, done in Queensland because the Surveillance Devices Act is something a little bit different there and you right. can record the audio and you can broadcast it without somebody's consent. Come on, Queensland. So are there exceptions if something is in the public interest um, where, where you there's can no, There's no public interest um, exception. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting, like, in this digital world we're in, like Friendly Geordie's sending, putting out that video recently with John Barillaro, the f- former Deputy uh, Premier of New South Wales. The audio of him kind of um, bragging about this new job, he put that in his video technically he could go to jail for that because it's against the surveillance devices act um and it's a bit murky as to who goes to jail whether it's the person reporting on it or somebody if a journalist reports on the reporting of it um or if the person who recorded it there's there's different levels of um, punishment for that so yeah it's it's there's no public interest element to it um if you've got a reasonable uh, if you have a reasonable expectation of privacy um then you shouldn't you shouldn't you should assume you're not being recorded it's just one of those things it's a weird thing and it's 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 a law that it's a law that allows a lot of bad stuff to kind of get a, get away and unpublished um and you may you may remember when um when was it ginjal and packer had their fight and oh no it was uh ginjal yeah. and mark and carl stefanovic in the back of an uber and the uber driver had recorded the conversation but uh women's day published it as a transcript. No, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't recorded. The taxi driver just had very, very, very good memory. That's it. Yes. So the taxi driver, oh. but, but it was recorded because it was like it was this transcript of what it said, and so yeah. the taxi driver told it from quote unquote memory. <laughs> so that's how they kind of got away with that. But they, you never heard the recording. But there was this no. epic transcript in the Woman's Day because because they had the recording. Now you could possibly go. This is what ChatGPT would have thought it. They would have said, <laughs> oh, "Wow, that, that's that's a that is interesting. No pun, but that, you know that is a fuck me moment for me." Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Wow, because I, I knew. Yeah, we should we, we should be very careful because uh, there could be recording devices uh, in each of our rooms right now. Oh, but, hey, did I get everyone's permission to record right now on this podcast? Or- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in a hotel, so there might be something somewhere around. <laughs> Matt, I, I've actually... Further, it's, I think it's all, it's all based around the reasonable expectation of privacy. So Matt. the very fact that we have been all been invited to a podcast means we're safe. I yeah. think. <laughs> Matt, I've actually been offered $1,000 by another podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do you take douche coin? <laughs> no, because I'm not a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Brian has labelled the priest as guilty, but Marty and Emma are having second thoughts. So uh, Kate weaves her magic and manages to get the priest over the line. Now, with the art of gentle persuasion, Brian convinces Mike to interview Cheryl. 
story, mate. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a bit political. <laughs> right, you always forget. I was the political reporter at the Perth 7.30 report. Right, well, the PSA <laughs> just released it. The PSA, the uh, Prices Surveillance Authority. Oh, yeah, yeah, PSA, yeah, sure. Yeah, they've uh, just released a report saying we pay far too much for CDs. There's no doubt about that. Bought the best of Enya last week. How much do you think it cost? <laughs> 40 bucks. <laughs> no, 28. Well, it's still a lot. Oh, it's a lot. Still a lot. I, I thought we should look into it, maybe do an interview with someone from the Prices Surveillance Authority. PSA, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Rope in a few of the local musicians. Why don't we do a debate, Brian Thompson? Michael Moore, what a great idea. That's a great idea, isn't it? <laughs> Are you uh, free to do a pre-record tomorrow, Arvo? Yeah. I'll skip Jim. <laughs> uh, just, I just love how he makes it all so easy <laughs> to get to get him over the line to interview Shirley. Uh, you'll, you'll be pleased to know that the price of a copy, a physical copy of the very best of Venia, has come down. It's now twenty two ninety nine from JB Hi-Fi. Oh, gosh. Oh. I can get that wow. cheaper at Salvo's. <laughs> I, I, oh, I still call free on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> can we just have a special moment to observe Mike Moore's posters in his office? Like, I know yeah. they've been there forever, but they seem to sort of be multiplying because I haven't watched it in a while. So it's like, oh, hang on. Now he's got, now he's got like, this one of the human body or something. And it's just like he's gone to the news agents in the 90s and picked up those poster book study guys <laughs> for like year 10. Yeah. <laughs> those little things. They're they all, were, yeah. <laughs> all over the office. He's such a basic guy. <laughs> it was like school projects and they were, you had these little turnstiles and you could kind of choose what you wanted. There was a cardboard kind of cover. There was a poster yeah. with all these fun, fun facts. You could, use, you could cut out pictures and put them in your in your scrapbook. The news agents. It was a plethora of <laughs> that sort of thing. With the CDs, does anyone remember? It might have been in the late nineties when it started happening. You to drive down the price of buying CDs when they started to um, import or the threat of them of the, the parallel importing. Yes. Parallel yes. Importing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that, yeah, and people were scared and thinking, oh, it's yeah, it's going to drive the business, drive everyone out of business. But you know, people wanted cheap CDs, so yeah. For me, as a teenager in the in the in the mid nineties, it was it was fine. We used to rent CDs, yeah, bloody oath. as well. We were absolutely the generation who were ripped off, right, from <laughs> word go. Like we were spending so much money on all of this physical media. Well, they were twenty nine ninety five for for a new yeah. CD that was in the mm, charts, mm. right? And and that's mm. quite a lot of money, you know, if you're a sort of teenager and you don't have a job and you're relying on pocket money or or Christmas birthday presents or whatever. What well, that must be so, like fifty bucks now, right? Like in today, yeah. that, that is a yeah. ton of money. Oh my god, I'd waste. And if you wanted album. a series on VHS of your favorite show, like you know Bottom or something like that, you had yeah, to they're, buy they're it in twenty nine ninety five. Yeah, but yeah. in two parts because one and tape yeah, only had three, three episodes. episodes. Yeah. You had to buy the other one. So you spent 60 bucks on a six-part series. Like, fuck me, we were ripped off. Fuck me, moment. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, Mike Moore actually had, had a good thing going trying to get this debate off the ground because yeah. we, def we definitely yeah. have something to say about it. That yeah, I often boxes. agree with Mike's ideas. <laughs> like, yeah. let's do that debate. <laughs> yeah. See, I think I, I think I think all this all this talk about the the price of CDs is why I was and still continue to be uh, a compilation connoisseur. Uh, 
CC. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's what I call music volume, whatever. It's much better value. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll see. Hits. We'll see. The the only one that's that's still going is so fresh, and I and I think it's on its last legs because the (laughs) the 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 latest one which came out a couple of weeks ago, there's only 17 tracks on it. Can't believe that is still going. It's it's not. It's not as good value as the the UK. Now that's what I call music series, which is. You know, they, where you get the double CD and you get about you know forty to fifty songs. I've, well, I've, I've started, again, I've started you could just, just listen to Spotify. Yeah, prove <laughs> you don't have the physical media. <laughs> physical media i've got it all around the room i'm I'm seeing it (laughs) look at this shit clogging up things (laughs) i don't know my partner i still go to salvo's every week and try and get you know two dollars cds but let's what mike points out you know it'll be software next and you know you know he's actually uh, got a point there you know with all the subscription-based services can I Definitely. just say on software, Adobe are the biggest jerks because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when you try to quit, they say, well, we're going to charge you for the whole year anyway. It's like, no, 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 you can't do that in Australia. Like that's against the law and oh, just, or they're, they're awful. But Mike's right. We did a debate. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But, you know, old Photoshop, old school Photoshop is probably worth a lot more now because people want to have that, <laughs> that one-off copy instead of doing a subscription. That's what stopped me from buying it because I don't want to do a subscription. <laughs> yeah, because it, it was like, like a it was hundreds of dollars or... to buy Photoshop back in the day, and mm. now you can get it for a subscription every month or something, which is kind of affordable. And yeah, it's always it a... and you yeah, always but... get upgraded as it as it gets you know as they improve it. If you don't so... pay, oh, you, you lose access Allison to it. You do. Adobe. It's in the first initial, hey. isn't it? Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I started. I do hate Adobe, but but it is better value these days, I think, compared to when you had to buy it back in the day. But anyway, this is maybe another bit to cut, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) You just have a separate episode. All the the tangents. Hey, did we ever work out whether um, Brian was full of it when he was referencing Price's Surveillance Authority? Like, that's not a real thing. As in, does that exist? Wasn't oh, it just the ACCC? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the PSA. Like, that's just a load of crap, isn't it? It, feel, it feels like an American so. thing, prices and surveillance authority or something. Um, yeah, P- PSA. I do, I, I, do, I do think yeah. it was just a name that uh, Brian did make up because, yeah, the next thing is that, you know, he, he goes to, to Emma uh, to uh, to ask her to put, uh, yeah, prices surveillance authority on an old station um, uh, financial Budget report. report. Yeah. Actually, Weird, like knowing yeah. that uh, uh, Mike will never, ever read it. Um, it is a thing. And he never does. Oh, it is a thing. Yeah. The, the prices war was a thing, right? No, I had no idea. It says here uh, that was it pc.gov.au. The Prices Surveillance Authority's mission, or PSA, is to promote price restraint and accountability consistent with competitive market outcomes. Wow. So they're doing a good job nowadays, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so that was established before the episode. It wasn't like, oh, let's establish a PSA, kind of like a Utopia <laughs> where they're like, oh, PSA, that's, let's make that a thing. Oh, I can think I'm going to do an investigation on my rent. That'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think, um, like, it says, according to treasury.gov.au, the Prices Surveillance Act came in in 1983. So it's ah. not that old. Mm. Well, yeah, 
Well, yeah, it's only roughly 40 well, it's years old. Fraser or Hawke brought that in. Yeah. yeah. Depending on what time Interesting. of year. There you go. So Marty is having the time of his life, uh, in, sorry, I say that in quotation marks, interviewing the accidental heroes, the two Bogans who just love getting pissed. Did you see one of them's wearing a Rodney Rude T-shirt? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where they got that from. They're like, they're in the, you know, was it uh, when uh, Boris was talking about all the, you know, the, the op shops and how they're trying to find all the, the costumes and things. <laughs> I wonder how hard it was to find a Rodney Rude uh, shirt. <laughs> sh- surely it's in like Ro- Robo Santo's, you know, wardrobe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now with this, uh, we have that uh, Brooks chat with the priest isn't as hard hitting as she thought. And uh, because he doesn't answer uh, properly, like in the whole drastic way he's actually pretty reasonable with his answers so with some hue magic uh the interview is slightly manipulated back to marty's interview with the two bogans though uh this is take nine when did you actually realize that the yacht was sinking <laughs> <laughs> sorry mate <laughs> Can, uh, <cut>. <laughs> It's shonky acting. Yeah. Now, this is where we get a cut scene, actually. There's a whole very short scene that's cut. And and this is about, well, this shows you how much they're trying to stitch up Father Croft, okay? So Brooke has got some photos of the rape victim, Dominique, or the alleged rape victim, and Father Croft. And so there's a photo of Father Croft with his arm around Dominique and his other arm around her mother. Okay, and Brooke says, this was taken at a youth mass. That's Dominique and her mum. And Brian says, yeah, with the mum, it looks a bit innocent. And then Brooke says, we thought about adjusting the shot just to highlight the two of them. And then she produces a cropped version of the first photo just showing Father Croft with his arm around Dominique. And Brian says, yeah, that's a much better shot. And then we go into Jeff and Mike. So that, that scene was cut. I guess it probably isn't needed, but... I think it's just further kind of highlighting the fact that Frontline are really trying to stitch this guy up, even though they don't really know he did it. This is one of those storylines that perplexed me a little bit because I don't know whether this would fly today in, in a current affairs program because of the risk of defamation. Um, the defamation law in Australia is so, um, it's such in favour of the complainant um, that, like a story like this is clear defamation and the priest and the Catholic church would have enough, um, enough fodder to take frontline to court and they'd have to pay a massive payout. So this would, this is such a, this is such a bizarre, uh, bizarre story. Like if this came across an editor's desk today, it would be thrown out immediately because there's no way an editor would, or, or an EP would risk, um, this kind of defamation. Uh, unless unless there is a series of complainants, uh, not just this woman, but a series of other victims along the way who can all point to it. Uh, this has got to hold up more than just one one person. So it would be uh, unless there's a, unless there's a series of of complaints, then I doubt this would ever ever get up as a story. What about it back in the day, like in the early 90s, though? Do you reckon the defamation laws were the same? I think they were the same. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but I know right now I wouldn't. I would be, I'd be saying pass on this story to a journalist that, that would give that to me. Yeah, and, and, and as the viewer, we see Emma and Marty kind of saying, you know, he hasn't got right of reply. We can't actually 
do this kind of story without without an, alle- an allegation or a formal police report or anything like that. So there are some kind of, you know, hints that, that, that this is definitely unethical back then. But obviously, yeah, nowadays, yeah, you, would, you wouldn't touch it in real life. So yeah, it makes me, it makes, me feel, it makes me feel so awkward as a bit, as a person who's worked in the media to see this happening. I'm like, oh, yuck! This is yeah, this is, this is nasty. I, I think I think the point of the cutscene and also the scene with uh, uh, Brooke and Hugh is that this stuff can happen, and I think it's perhaps pointing out more to the layperson that that this sort of thing can happen. Maybe to put it in. Um, in a skyhooksism, don't you believe what you've seen or you've heard? <laughs> mm. This just reminds me of the of a jukebox in Siberia. Is that, is, <laughs> shouting out, yeah. shouting yeah. out yeah. hysteria. Yeah. Get down, it's get a horror down. movie. Like a horror stop. movie. <laughs> All right. Oh god, I've started something else again, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> you dropped the ripple in the slot. <laughs> We, I love that we can all basically remember all of the jukebox in Siberia lyrics between us. Isn't that isn't that amazing too that we can do that? God, you're really just taking me back to those Saturday mornings where we all had to sit through that friggin' video clip. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeffrey Salter is in his office uh, critiquing his work. Oh, I just love the salt and pepper that's developed on uh, Jeff's yes. head too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he's, very he's, cute. Yeah, his hair's so neat and stylish. Uh, it's, <laughs> he's critiquing his own work uh, as Mike decides to. <laughs> this the, is funny. Yeah, I, I've, I've only got a little snippet of it. How's that docker going? Oh, come on, Jan really likes it. Does she, she loves it. Yeah, I she's, she she's going to show the people upstairs. I bet she likes right it because it. it's a winner. It's Urban a... foxes. It's it's it's. it's a... I, I thought of a new title. Tell me, what is it? Fox lies and videotape. What, what, what do you think? It's, it's great. You really think so? Because the film, it's a twist on the... You picked that up, Greg, because I thought it was going to go for people's heads. <laughs> I've got to now. I, Jeez, I cannot believe I pointed it at the wrong I'm city. talking. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way Santo basically is riffing on that whole thing. Like, it doesn't appear to be in the script book when he admonishes himself and he goes, what are you doing, Jeffrey Salter? You're pointing it... You're talking about Perth and you're pointing at Albany. Like, he's just... Spinning that out of his ass at the yeah. time. I, I couldn't imagine uh, any uh, real life with a person uh, critiquing their work, but I could definitely imagine Jeffrey Salter doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who were the 90s weathermen? Like, obviously, there was Stretch. Oh, that was Monty. Monty were, it, 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 state, it been... state based though. Oh, so, they yeah, are. Like, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. in Adelaide, we had Adrills. Right. Yep. And Adrils there was Brian Brewery. Oh, Brian Brewery. Oh, Keith Martin. Yeah, Brewery. yeah yep. Keith Martin. Yep. And, was... and, and the woman on Channel 10, who was she? Jen oh, Riley. Mike Larkham in Jen Riley. Yeah, that's right. Mike He was there forever. Tim Bailey in Sydney. Tim Bailey. Yeah, Tim Bailey, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, was he the, was all Who was tea. the bloke in Melbourne who had the wacky pointers? He, he had, like... He had no, I think that was Brian Brewery. Yeah, and he was, Brian Brewery was pretty wacky. He was Sydney guy. Yeah, um, he was. Yeah. He was national, though, because he was on the Today Show or something. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the But what about shows. that guy from um, All Together Now? Wasn't he a weatherman? Oh, Stevie Jacobs. Or was that later? Stephen yeah. Stephen Jacobs, and that was later, yeah. yeah. Oh, was later. later. I believe Mark Humphreys' dad was a weatherman on the ABC. Oh, oh wow. wow. Mm. Yeah. That's before all of our times, though. Yeah. Well, that explains Mark Humphreys' look 
immediately. He's got a weatherman look, doesn't he? <laughs> He's just very well presented. That's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> After the stinging teaser promo of the priest, love the effect of the black labeling coming off the eye. The eye-line. black yeah. barb getting peeled off, almost about to reveal him, yeah. but not quite. You have to tune in. Yeah. So Marty and Emma aren't convinced he's guilty, but Brooke is taking the word of the victim's psychiatrist. Hey, uh, how's your pre-story going? You sewn him up yet? Oh, just about. Saw the promo. Wolves in priest's clothing. That was Brian. Yeah, he wanted to call it priests or pedophiles. Is this guy, like, actually guilty? Well, she reckons he is. Yeah, but this is a sexual abuse thing happened 15 years ago, isn't it? We he? spoke to her psychiatrist. He'd done a lot of work in unlocking hidden memories. Apparently she'd forgotten the whole rape. How do you forget rape? You don't forget rape, you block it out. There's some technical term for it. Bullshit. What is this, an inquisition? Look, we're accusing this guy tonight on national television. We better make sure that he's guilty. He is. Well, why haven't the cops charged? <gasps> Look, what is your problem? These guys are creeps. They prey on young girls. You want to let them yeah, off the uh, we, we can't sort of set ourselves up as judge and jury. Yeah. That's a... Sorry, are you both Catholic? <laughs> Bit of a burn there. Says the girl from Genazano. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it suddenly dawns that um yeah, there's there's a bit of a, a divide being drawn based on religion. I'm crushing more and more on Emma every episode. Whoa. Yeah, like Unpack that. <laughs> no, as in it's just she's the intelligence and I think it's oh, more or yeah. less the morals that, you know, she's straight up. It's like, you sure about that? Yeah, def- definitely Emma is the hero of Frontline. She, she's the glue of the station, of the show. Yeah, I would, I would argue she's the she's the protagonist of the whole series. Yeah. Well, she's kind of the moral centre as well. Like she's, she's basically the only one who ever raises a moral objection to anything, really, you know. Yeah, well, for all Mike's naivety, he also has a little bit of a you know he's he's got some morals as well when, when it comes to when it comes down to it sometimes. But they're very easily turned the other way. <laughs> this is this is true, Mike. but I think he, he is very with the wind, wind. But I think his his heart's in the right place. I think. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's quite happy to ditch going to the gym to have a debate on the. <laughs> oh, what a sacrifice! What a what a martyr he is for the cause. And he'll do the research. He'll read the report. He'll he'll read the he'll read the cover, he'll he'll read the cover of the report. Yeah, but it's very in depth though the cover. If the, if the, if the, if the Price yeah. Surveillance Act had a pull out poster he could put on his wall, he'd read that. <laughs> yeah. If they made, if they made a, a Nintendo game out of it for his Game Boy, maybe he'd play it. <laughs> I love Mike. He's so great. <laughs> well, Marty shows Brian the result of his Bogan Yacht Heroes. Jesus, it was fucking pissing down. Well, he says, come over the f-ing window. So I come over and he says, have a f-ing look out there. I says, I can't see a f-ing thing. She's a f-ing blind bat. Well, move. Why don't I look again? And there's this f-ing boat. It's rolled over. I knew he myself. So we get the f-ing thing here. Yeah. The waves are f-ing ton. And it's pissing down. F-ing pouring. I swear they spelt cunt in Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> also. How are we supposed to expect that these guys come from Sandringham in Melbourne? I do not think so. <laughs> Very posh they, part of town. They don't, they, they, they don't put as much in the swear, uh, the swear jar down in Sandringham? No, not <laughs> Mike manages to present Frontline with a broken chair, <laughs> which this is just, that's just... 
That is a great visual gag. Previous episode, or was this set up earlier in the episode? Because I I missed this by the time. No, no, it was set up earlier in the episode. This is is where it starts. He fiddles with the chair, and the chair drops, and then he has to sort of sit up on his haunches, like when the yeah, because when it goes live. (laughs) And the victim Dominique's story does go to air, but back in the office. And the staff are torn on who is telling the truth. What if he didn't? Oh, here yeah. we go. Oh, look, what if this Dominique was lying or maybe she was just wrong? Oh, she went to a psychiatrist, a professional, and he brought out all these repressed memories. I read about yep. that. This woman in America, I remember she was, like, touched and stuff by Dad when she was eight, and she didn't remember it until she went to this psychiatrist 20 years later, and then she remembered. Yeah, and then it was discovered that it never actually happened and that this so-called psychiatrist had just planted the whole thing in her head. Why do I remember that being? Mm. So Dom is more like a human Facebook share button. <laughs> or, or a retweet. I think she represents retweet. the audience, right? She, re- she kind of represents like the, the viewer, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's, oh, I don't remember that bit. <laughs> but Brian uh, tells Emma that the interview with Shell is to go ahead. The next day, Marty is stealing from the charity chocolate box. Naughty, uh, and reveals that he sabotaged Mike's chair. So there's that whole thing. But I'd say that he only did that Set up, pay off. Yeah, to get back because Mike tried to do the prank as well, you know, with the oh, fly right. spray. Ah. But don't forget, there was also that bit where Mike is also doing the crossword and says uh, the host, the popular host of Frontline <laughs> or person... <laughs> Five words. Starts with M. Starts with M. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's not Marty. Oh, it is. It is uh. Marty. <laughs> so, and Mike is on 3AW talking with Neil Mitchell and cops are grilling over the priest story. Wait, wait a second, Neil. There is community concern there, especially from the women who themselves have been the victims of this sort of abuse. Look, I'm, I'm sure there is, but there's also deep community concern about current affairs shows setting themselves up as judge and jury. What's with this judge and jury thing? That's twice that the name of the episode has been mentioned. It's like, yes, minister in that respect. Yeah. No one got that, but trust me, if, if the phrase... <laughs> it's there. <laughs> yes, minister fans will be pissing themselves right now. They absolutely will. I think it's interesting to note that in this, it's, it's fascinating that, you know, Neil Mitchell is still a fixture on air. Yes. In Melbourne, right? Mm, yeah. And many of these characters and these archetypes have kind of disappeared, particularly in commercial current affairs, but radio still kind of holds. And, you know, Neil Mitchell is still kind of uh, that presence on in that city uh, as that kind of voice. And who who who's doing it now? Like, who, who are those names that who's the, when, who's the new Neil Mitchell? I don't, it's like... It, it's kind of a well, they're relics a, that are dying out. We don't, yeah. I mean, it's, I, a, it's interesting in '94, Neil Mitchell wasn't what he is today. You know, it takes years to become a shock jock. You cannot, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he is kind of a detestable with, shock he, he jock. He didn't have now. like any, he didn't have that same kind of profile that he does now. Yeah, no, no, no way. Wow, it was okay, right. just another voice on the radio and and probably i i don't imagine that working dog would dare touch someone like neil mitchell now because he's so gross i don't know i just feel yeah. like 
Well, I'm, was, I'm also thinking about yeah. that divide between Sydney and Melbourne talk radio. I don't think that Mike Moore would last a second in front of a John Laws or a Ray Hadley or a, you know, even today, Ben Fordham. Uh, like, it's, it's, a, it's a much more aggressive kind of uh, radio in Sydney. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it, it's interesting because we find out later that this is a paid spot. You know, fr- the network yeah. is paying. Yeah. That's kind of the key, there. isn't it? And it's kind of interesting. Like, and, and as a Sydney cider, I this is how I found out about Neil Mitchell. This is how I how I knew who Neil Mitchell was from Frontline. So I, I guess in my head, I'm like, oh, this is an important radio guy in Melbourne, and he's he's a person with gravitas talking to Mike, and I really enjoyed that real world kind of interaction. I am on the same wavelength as you with that, Dan, because um, we would have dealt with Stan Zamanik and Ron Casey. Uh, of the day oh, in the wow. 90s yeah so and obviously John Moores um, but yeah because we're all Sydney people Neil Mitchell was a who is he until we watch Frontline and then it's like okay so he must be some type of name over the border but that's it uh, in Sydney no idea who he is yeah. interesting though like are these shock jocks in Sydney are they on the AM or the FM band I am Definitely AM. Oh, it's LAM, right. I mean, the only one you could even remotely consider a shock jock on FM would be Kyle Sanderlands. And even then, it's just, it's a different, it's a different type of radio. Really. Yeah. It's just like for our generation, if you listen to AM, you were such a grandma. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> None of us had it on Yeah, it, No, it, it literally was your grandparents or maybe your parents who listened to AM radio. Yeah, it yeah. was like my, my dad in the car who was an older dad listening to John Laws all the time and, and people calling in about their plants. So that was pretty much <laughs> And the urban foxes. Yeah. <laughs> and winning tickets to the oh, Chelsea God. Flower Show. The, the, yeah. the, Saturday, yeah. the Saturday morning gardening program on abc radio was just just what my dad would always listen to yeah Yeah. absolutely my grandparents had that on how to pickle your fruit (laughs) yeah that that was the kind of thing that my dad would be into it was healthy wealthy and wise in radio format but you could call in with your problems oh my god oh my roses are drooping what do i do I mean, thank God we've got YouTube now to fix this for us so we don't have to worry. We didn't have to around yeah, 8 o'clock on Saturday to call my, someone to find out. My, dad's, my dad's not going on YouTube. He's still listening to the radio program on the Saturday morning. <laughs> I assume it still exists. Maybe, oh, maybe wow. Daniel can help yeah. me out. Does, does Is there still a gardening show on Adelaide <laughs> Radio on, on a Saturday morning? Um I'm not quite sure about. Um, they have to be on the ABC, but I wouldn't really. Know. Yeah, the ABC. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm, would... I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm more uh, tuned into the the only commercial talk station in Adelaide, five AA. And yeah, there's uh, uh... still Mike, Michael Keelan on a Saturday doing gardening. Yeah. And you don't listen yeah. to um, our old mates uh, Simon Owens and Phil Brady. On three AW, uh, I do, but uh, usually on a Monday morning, uh, like afterwards, you know, via podcast. Podcasting is where it's at, really. Mm. Like that's <laughs> that's that's where talk radio is still alive and well. Yeah, 
<laughs> the late night calling podcast. <laughs> yeah, Sizzle Town. You listen to that. <laughs> That's a great. I think. I think what's interesting. I think my point here is that you know it, it's interesting that in radio the the chairs haven't moved very much and yeah, still the same bums in the same chairs and seems to be a weird medium where people get a seat and they don't move. It's that a news reading, isn't it? Because if you get a job as a newsreader, you've basically got it for life. And yeah. I discovered recently that a newsreader that I used to watch, you know, ever since I was a kid in Adelaide, has now retired, and his son's got the slot. So <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like funny. Oh yeah. yes, uh, yeah. Will Will Gooding, son of Graham Gooding. Yes, who, indeed. Who, who, and who who is also on the breakfast slot on Five Double A? Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and also, what's his name? Well, Goodings <laughs> was was the inspiration for one of those characters that they did on Full Frontal, written by Sean McAuliffe. You know, they had the news, the news segment with Kitty Flanagan and and uh, yeah, John. Yeah. What's his name? And one of them had the surname Goodings, which was inspired by Graham Goodings. Oh, so it, right. it all links. I'm trying to desperately bring this back to comedy here. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John Walker doing in Goodings. Yeah, just wanted to ask him because obviously Mike didn't know it was a paid slot and I just wanted how prevalent that is in in um in radio and other and other media today because uh from what I understood I, you know businesses have to really disclose um any kind of commercial dealings especially like if you've got Instagram influencers saying oh this is a paid slot and that sort of thing Mike didn't even know himself that it was a paid slot is this something that um has to happen nowadays yeah, so it was a really, really murky territory in the nineties, and didn't you didn't really have to. This is where the whole cash for comment thing came from with Alan Jones and a bunch of other broadcasters. Um, but now it's kind of a different arrangement. So um, when you look at commercial radio and you see these kind of these these connections, you would have the major commercial radio stations in Australia. Some are owned by Channel Nine, and you would never have a Channel Seven broadcaster do a spot like this on a Channel Nine owned. Uh, radio show so it would be it uh, it would be very unlikely that there would be a different network on unless there was a commercial arrangement between those two networks um but i i think now you're more likely to have nine broadcasters who are from the telly go on nine radio stations in the metro areas and that's kind of how that relationship would work so you'd never have a uh, a another kind of reporter unless the the reporter was covering a beat that wasn't covered by anywhere else or they had an exclusive, it would be very rare to see that person on that radio station if it was if there wasn't like a, a connection. Yeah, uh, uh, again, bring it in, into uh, a local example for me. Yeah, the uh, Will Gooding has reads the news on Channel 7 um, and uh, it used to be that Channel 9 would provide like a half-hour midday news bulletin for the radio station 5AA, but just recently it... Uh, that contract has mutually ended and it's now Channel 7 providing a half-hour bulletin for the radio. You're starting to see that, yeah, it's starting to just be Channel 7 people that are coming through 5AA. It's sort of, there's nothing, you know, set in stone about it, but um, it seems to be some sort of unwritten arrangement. But uh, at, at least with the, uh, the frontline example, at least Neil Mitchell's having a go at Mike Moore even though it's a paid spot. That's the only sort of bit that doesn't seem very plausible to me. You would think that if, if it's Frontline paying for airtime on 3AW, uh, you know, Neil Mitchell might go a bit easy. But Neil yeah, Mitchell's yeah. got to pretend to look like a journalist as well. So he's got to pretend to kind of keep his kind of journalistic credentials in check and, and be the devil's advocate, you know. And a lot, look, yeah. I've been interviewed by Neil Mitchell and um, 
you can tell that a lot of these broadcasters aren't actually listening to what they're saying when they're saying they're just kind of thinking of the next thing to say. Um, so it, it's one of those things where, I mean, in this circumstance, there's a clear script and he's being Neil Mitchell um, with great dialogue probably written by a working dog for him. Yeah, because this um, is a working dog device where they often take someone from real life who's got a profile that we'll all understand and and relate to and – and then they'll make them sort of cleverer. They'll they'll be the champion of the joke, like what they did with um, John uh, Hewis. What was his name? Hewson. You know Hewson. the Hewson, yeah. You know how they made him sort of like um, a bit of a star of the scene. Like yeah. he had the gag and he had the punchline, and Neil Mitchell sort of got the upper hand here. And so this is a sort of a classic working dog thing that they often do. That's great. It's funny. It's great. I think it's a really powerful device. It's great. I love it. And then the the, the scene just closes out with, um, you know, call us now if you if you agreed with the frontline story. Oh, we don't seem to have any callers until somebody who sounds very much like Dominica calls in. After Emma feeling bad for Mike getting grilled on 3AW and eventually finds out it's actually a paid spot, uh, Brooke reads out the newspaper article of, over the priest story and um, Mike gets upset about the 3AW grilling threatening to walk. Yeah, that's a smart move, mate. Uh, but Kate gets an off-screen call from the church as well, so hold on to that, your hats for that one. In the studio, though, Mike is getting ready to debate the CD prices with uh, Shirl and the guy from the PSA <laughs> to, yeah, have that nice debate, but someone doesn't turn up. Oh, damn, what did we do? So it ends up being turned into an interview. Joining us now on Frontline, a man who's gone from living in the 70s to swinging a hammer in the 90s, Skyhook's lead singer Shirley Strawn. And Shirl, tell us about the new single. Well, it's called the Happy Hippie Hut, and mm-hmm. it's to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Skyhooks. And this is it here now. Ah, uh, the late great show. Yeah. Does, does anyone want to know what show. the top? Does anyone want to know what the top chart position for the Happy Hippie Hut was? I looked it up. I'm, I'm, yeah, me too. But I'll let you say it, Alison. Oh, hang on. Was well, this a real song? I assumed it's it was a real like, song. Yeah. In fact, oh my god. Own wiki. It's yeah. got a Wikipedia yeah. page for it. <laughs> Yeah, pop, pop, play, 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 Just imagine this on Hey Hey It's Saturday. Oh, the light show has four and a half minutes of shit. Oh. <laughs> it was three minutes 45. <laughs> so, okay, That's a terrible well, song. Yeah, now, now, now actually, coincidentally, if you do look up uh, this song on YouTube, there is a Hey Hey performance. <laughs> oh my I am God. No, wow. in no way surprised by that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I think you've you've got a lot to say about this uh, song. Uh, yeah, again from the from the Wikipedia page, so I'll let you uh, take it well, away, Alison. I don't I don't really. I, I think the key point here is that the chart position that it reached. It, it was actually okay. All right, it was a double sort of double A side with Daddy Cool, and they their song on it was the Ballad of Oz, and the song peaked at. Number 35. So uh, <laughs> let's, right. let's just say that even the combined, you know, skills of the star power. and Daddy Cool, uh, the, star, the star power, combined star power, 
they only got to 35 with heavy, heavy hearts. Oh. And, and this, the, was, so. and, uh, and apparently this was, like, well uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently I, I, this, this was uh, for a proposed stadium tour between Skyhooks and Daddy Cool, uh, <laughs> yeah. which was later downgraded to the pub circuit. <laughs> uh, judging, judging by that, it was in. It was number thirty-five for three weeks and then dropped out. Yeah, look, I mean, Gadinsky was a legend, but some of his ideas were cocoa bananas. Now, now, so this, also, this, yeah, you, you go on. Sorry. So, so this was a real plug, it seems, because I just looked up the Wikipedia page and it was launched in August '94, and and this frontline episode was end of July. So this this plug actually was a plug. Unfortunately, not not as successful as as he would have liked. Once again, who says you can't advertise on the ABC? (laughs) It's a bit bit dodgy, isn't it? Now, now there's another cut scene that I'll just mention very, very quickly, and I it's not a it's not really a particularly interesting scene apart from it's got kind of a late show gag in it. So just before Mike starts to interview Cheryl, he says to Cheryl, "You know what my all-time favorite Skyhook song is." And then Shell says, what? <clears throat> and Mike's answer, jump in my car. <laughs> <laughs> and Shell goes, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Not the old uh, Spritch Street interview. Real estate agent. <laughs> That's the one. There is a Skyhook song that they could have easily have gone with, but I, there are legit reasons why it didn't, because they could have gone and played this song. That one didn't get a lot of airtime in my day. <laughs> what? No, 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 this is this is the slightly dispiriting thing, uh, and it was it was sort of uh, demonstrated by that intro by Mike, uh, living in the seventies to swinging the hammer in the nineties. Is that yeah? This was a band that yeah did songs like that one and that other one about uh, getting a bit of hand relief at the movies in a twisties bag. <laughs> yes, smart, yeah. And then, yeah, suddenly going to, yeah, jukebox in Siberia and to, Happy yeah. Hippie Heart and, yeah. It's quite the journey, they've really, isn't it? Yeah, they've really mellowed oh, out. And you, you're forgetting Tall Timber, which was a song about forests. Yeah. You know, don't oh, cut yes. down the tall, tall timber. It was about, you know, deforestation <laughs> and stuff. Which seems very oh, ir- ironic God. considering Shell's chippy, yeah. Mm. I think mm. when you turn, you know... 38 is probably when you stop giving people hand jobs in a Christie's bag. So, <laughs> was that when you stopped? Or... Uh, yeah. uh, it depends. Um, cheese, absolutely. Yeah. Chicken, probably 39, 40. Yeah. Uh, oh, chicken uh, 41 now, so all that is behind <laughs> me. <laughs> From that lovely bit of hilarity to uh, the next scene, which is a, a nice little, uh, dare I say, fuck me moment. <laughs> There we go. Thank you, thank you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, because Mike does walk into a somber office and <sighs> the priest has committed yeah. suicide. But he's, he's thankfully hasn't been axed. Yeah, that, that's the thing is that Mike's like, oh, is the show been axed? And then he's like, yeah, he's like, oh, phew. And it's like, yeah. oh, it's just the priest committed suicide. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I felt uncomfortable about oh, that story. God. I was wrong. Yeah, I knew that I was right about that all along. It's all Brooke's fault. You know, we don't have anything to do with it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, while Brooke is dealing with that, I guess, uh, Brian decides to get the victim, Dominique, into the studio for a live interview. 
And, uh... Well, well, thanks for coming in at such uh, short notice, Dominique. That's, uh... My therapist says it's a good idea. The more I talk about the incidents, the more I neutralise the effects. The neut that, I would assume so. And that's, in five, that's okay. I'll just wait four, that. Yep. Did you three, hear Shell fix the chair, two. too? You got the... Where are you? <laughs> 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 but without playing the final bit, turns out that she's a bit of a loose cannon. She's mm. she's turning out to be perhaps a not so reliable witness mm. to, yeah. to, to sort of to give her the benefit of the doubt. Why are we yeah, being well, coy about having... this? What she literally goes on air and says that she was raped and impregnated by aliens. And then it's like, okay, we'll just leave that interview there coming up next on Frontline. Yeah. <laughs> And it, and it, yeah. Pretty uh, smooth move by Mike, wasn't it? It was like, and it's off a we very, go. Very, very quickly <laughs> segued away from her. <laughs> I, I hate to be the bearer of bad, bad news, but this wouldn't happen at all no. in the current affair no, show. I doubt this it would. Miss yeah. Talon would have been pre-recorded 100% for sure yeah. for, for defamation purposes mainly. But even if they did decide to do a live interview, she would have done a pre-interview pre with a producer before and the producer would have known with that talent was um unstable or unsafe to have her and as a victim she was pro she'd probably be very unsafe to have on on live tv that's that's a very yeah. uh, that's a not a not a ethical thing to do or as yeah. in a duty of care yeah. kind of space from a broadcaster well, from a definition point he's already dead so do you think it's it could still <laughs> potentially have happened live oh yeah yeah well, he, he, he's dead so it doesn't matter you know she you might can't defame, defame someone, someone else though, i suppose she might defame somebody else. Like so, the yeah. aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Those aliens could sue. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget, she's pregnant with Shell's baby too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this but, whole time, like, uh, Brooke, we, we kind of, um, you know, the viewer doesn't see this coming, or maybe they, they do, but, you know, the whole, all the manipulation, <laughs> they all the manipulation that they do of the footage and, and all the, you know, the fact that Brooke is saying, yeah, we can do all of this stuff um, or we can do all this stuff to the footage and, and the guy deserves it. He's done all of this, all these liberties that they're taking. And, and as the viewer, we kind of think, oh, yeah, maybe maybe that's fair because this guy, you know, did what he did. And then we realise at the very end this, this whole twist. Um, so, yeah, it's very clever. Maybe, yeah, maybe he is innocent. And mm. in that case, um, yeah, that puts a heck of a lot of blood on the baddies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. frontline are the baddies. Yeah. But sorry to put the serious yeah. hat on here. Even though they went live with uh, Dominique, wouldn't you think that they have, have learnt their lesson when Mike was on the phone during the siege? Ah. Yeah, there's a little bit of repetitiousness, isn't there? Yeah. Maybe that's why they didn't do 13 episodes in a series again. But also, have you guys done Desert Angel yet? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah the yeah. stuttering yeah. lady. Yeah. <laughs> the stuttering lady is the same guy. Yes. <laughs> yep. I don't know, though. I mean, in, in this era of comedy, that. It was kind of like a cartoon in the sense that you know it resets again at the start of every episode. There isn't there is yeah. less yes. of this yeah. idea of having a character evolve over a program. Mm. Yeah. You know that that's more common mm. in comedy now, but not at that time. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying at the start, Dan, about how that the punchiness of having a twenty six minute episode. In a way, I'm glad we've evolved a little bit because it's more like we expect now. Uh, strong characters that we can understand. They've got a backstory, mm. you know. It, there's less of that kind of um, cookie cutterness, or uh, what do you call it? Like um, 
What's the word I'm looking for? Stock character. <laughs> Homogenized? Yeah, or um, like... Stencil. <laughs> uh, yeah, like that. Like yourself, it. Try and articulate what you're feeling without insulting the work of Working Dog. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you, Prue, are you talking about like a stock character where you've got like the dumb secretary or you've got the kind of... I don't know. Yeah, or that, that sort or of, it's like um, a pattern of, of how a show should be, you know, and there was lots of oh, that yeah. at the time. It was like, yeah, it followed oh, a formula. pattern. Formula, yeah. thank you. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Or, or a standard <laughs> structure or something. You see, I, I don't know, I, I kind of disagree because I feel like a lot of TV now, it you know, there's an A plot and there's a B plot and there's a C plot and you, you just sort of, and you can see stuff coming just a mile ahead. You just go, oh no, in episode five, you know, there'll be some big crisis, like some major character will die. And, and there have been mm. so many programs recently that I've watched where that's so obviously going to happen. And it, and then it literally does. And you think, well, what's the point of watching that if you know what's happening? you got to try and have that shock value um, in these days anyway for that. Otherwise... Well, actually, no, you're right, uh, Alison. You're spot on there because what's the point? It just you lose interest in it. Yeah, which is why I'm giving up on comedy. I'm never doing it again. Um, oh. it's, it's terrible. Don't do it. Don't do a Judith Lucy. It's a hard game, comedy. I, I imagine. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> on that note, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that concludes Frontline Season 1, Episode 12 and the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 52. I was going to point out, though, that in the credits, Tom Gleiser's name's on it and you know, Colin Conacher. Did not see Colin Conacher at all in the episode. Yeah, I Unless never seemed to see him. Yeah, never saw him. We didn't have an Elliot either, which was a bit of a yeah. shame. Yeah. So well, I always enjoy Elliot. Yeah. Feel free to reach out to us, email champagnelateshow at gmail.com um, and check this episode show notes for all our socials because I'm sure by the time that this episode gets released, there's probably another five more socials I have to bloody register. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And can I say I was, uh, I was in the ABC foyer a couple of weeks ago and I bumped into James Valentine. I was t- told Matthew this already, but James Valentine, I mentioned this podcast to him. I'm like, James, there's this podcast that do recaps of the late show and they use a lot of TV TV. He's like, Oh, I've got some great stories about TV TV. So I think you should get James Valentine oh, the next celebrity. We should get him on. on. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, um, he's he, such a fan of that show. He's really good and he's pretty accessible on Twitter and um, reach out to him, see if, um, see if he's up for it because I reckon he'd be a great guest with a bunch of good stories, particularly not only about Frontline but also working behind the scenes on TV TV. Well, thank you, That'd Dan. Awesome. And there you go. Yeah. It's now in the podcast, so I'll now have to follow it up. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> get, get the Tony Martin impersonator on the podcast straight away. Stat. So... <laughs> And uh, also Facebook search Champagne Comedy Podcast Group and um, Redbubble, where we try to raise money for this podcast. So far, we've still got one sale. Hooray. And that was Prue. (laughs) (laughs) And also Tim. Tim, who bought a pedantry coffee mug. And someone else who has bought a bus trip to barrel hashtag T-shirt. So thank you, as always, to Alison, Daniel, (laughs) Kim. I've got to buy one for myself. And Prue. And... Now, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think I did this last episode. Are you about to give Dan a chance to play? Yes. <laughs> if 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 the, if the, if the Shirley Strawn interview has taught us anything, it's that interviews are a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> yes. We need Dan for the you know for the the, the guest uh, spot, and he's got something to plug. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so Dan, when is your version of Happy Hippie Hat coming out? 
No, I mean I've got nothing to plug. Don't worry about it. No, oh. you know I'll give this one a free. Here's a free one. You know, <laughs> fill it in. Fill it, I don't know what you want. I mean, I've got a podcast. You can listen to it if you want. It's won awards. No big deal. Um, <laughs> if you are, if you do have any listeners in the Torres Strait, we're going to be doing a Torres Strait show of Irrational Fear with Dane Simpson, Lewis Hobber, a couple of other uh, TI. Torres Strait Islander um, uh, comedians as well um, to support The Voice coming up um, September 18. And also, if you're in Sydney on September 9, we're going to be doing a live recording of our show as well at the Women in Media Conference. Yes, two men, me and Lewis, <laughs> with a podcast, are doing so at the Women in Media Conference. Uh, it's purely out of diversity that we're there. We're very privileged to be there. Um, and we've got Nayuka Gori on stage. Uh, we've got Nina Oyama on stage, Hannah Ferguson from Cheek Media on stage with us, and also Vijay Rajan from Auntie Donna's Coffee Cafe uh, is also on stage with us as well. So we've got some really excellent, funny women on stage with us. Um, so that's September 9th. And, um, you know, uh, Irrational Fear, wherever you download your podcasts. Great. Thank you, uh, Dan. I really appreciate <laughs> you coming back on um, and being patient. Hey, I love the podcast. I'm a, I'm a listener. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we do have. Yeah, it was it was it, it was great to to hear you talking about media a bit more. Oh, rather sure. rather rather than than just all the all the comedy side of things when uh, when you were here for the late show. Well, it, oh, the thing is, I kind of I kind of true my my career strand is kind of you know journalism and comedy at the same time so um whether it's working for the feed or hungry beast before then i in between ronnie johns and hungry beast i worked as a video journalist for fairfax so i was in making big decisions breaking news um i broke the story of like um heath uh heath um uh fuck what's his name ledger heath ledger passing away yeah when i was in new york with brad blanks um and so we got kind of scooped the world on that. And so, and I've, you know, I've done reporting from all around Australia. I've hitchhiked from Hobart to Ely Beach for the election. I've, I've, I've done video diaries from Afghanistan while doing comedy um, for Fairfax and stuff like that as well. So in kind of, in, in, in this space, I'm kind of uniquely suited to kind of talk about it. So, yeah. And when you, when you're the executive producer and showrunner of TV shows like Tonightly, that's a particularly interesting um, seat to have because you do you do span news and comedy at the same time and those mm. kind of questions that that Brian would be facing every day I could really relate to and he is much more laissez-faire and much more chill about things than me um, but the pressure of that job is a lot is 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 quite immense um, and to get I wish I was a bit more like Brian in that I could kind of treat people's egos in a way that I could get the best out of them, like let them come to the decision. Whereas I'm a bit more authoritarian in my leadership style. I'll, I'll be like, Mike, you do the interview. Let's move on. You know, mm. <laughs> or like working with someone like Tom Ballard as well with Tonightly, that was a very much a co-managing relationship where we would, we would fight, you know, to kind of get different ideas across and would very much respect respect each other um, to kind of get things across. And when the network needed stuff done, I had to be the bad guy to tell Tom to do the stuff that the network wanted him to do. So there was, you know, there's things 
there's things in that character that I, you know, I can absolutely see, but, you know, Brian does it in such a beautiful way where he can emotionally manipulate uh, Mike into doing stuff and he's the rest of his stuff. He knows what each of those characters wants and he can knows the carrot to dangle in front of them to get the most out of those, get, get the most out of that team. And I think that's, um, and that is the kind of psychopath that needs to run uh, a show like that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm a bit more uh, collegial, but also when stuff needs to happen, we need to get, we just need to tick the boxes for the the masters at, at, at hand, which is a network. So yeah, it's, um, yeah. So it's a, it's a unique position where, you know, I've, I've had to be, you know, well, make sure yeah. you keep wearing that hat because you will earn so much respect <laughs> with the Late Show hat, the original. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, I've had this one since I was about 12 years old. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that belongs in a museum or a pool room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should start right. collecting so, for the Late Show museums, charge entry. Oh, goodness gracious, yeah. It's, we've got to start doing that. All right, have a great time, everyone, and we'll see you next episode. I'm Matt. Catch you next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions at fulton.com.au.